Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. G'day. Uh, maybe we should start with, we'll start by praying, shall we? Um, oh, by the way, my name's Glenn. I think everyone knows my name. Uh, married to the lovely Monique. We're really proud and excited to have been going to, are you taking photos of me, Amber Baptista? No. It's <laughs> better. Okay. <laughs> uh, Monique and I and, and the kids, the boys, Theo and Hugo, have been so excited to be part of Centerpoint since it started and so optimistic and excited about what God is doing. Um, and I think it's something really special to be at a community as God is kind of forming it out of sort of nowhere and you know it's just an exciting part to be a, a journey journeying with all of you on maybe we should start with prayer and, and then we'll get into it um, yeah um, thank you Lord that you delight in, in speaking through uh, us us mere humans Lord we're so grateful that you are excited about sharing to us and, and with us and opening our hearts yeah. um, we just pray that you help the words that I'm saying to resonate with what you're saying to each of us and to us as a community. Amen. Amen. Awesome. You know uh, those moments that you have when expectations don't quite meet reality? Uh, like for us, when we were looking for a home here in Sydney, they use that really nice filter on realestate.com.au, right? Like where it's like this gorgeous kind of blue, the houses look beautiful, the, the lawns are mowed, the paint is stunning. But then when you turn up to the actual inspection, uh, it's not quite what you expected, right? Like it, it's sort of like, there's definitely termites here and, and I'm, I can see why the price is what it is. Um, it doesn't always have to be negative though, right? Uh, I know that when we first moved to Sydney, the only kind of mental paradigm we had for what Sydney would be like was Auckland. And Auckland's fine, but it wasn't somewhere that we saw ourselves living. And it was a really beautiful, pleasant surprise from Jesus when we got here and we loved the place and we loved the people. Um, it was really, really special. Maybe it's just surprise, whether that's a pleasant surprise or an unpleasant surprise. But it's that there's, there's a process that our minds go through when things aren't quite what we expected them, expected them to be like, right? You know, maybe it's cognitive dissonance. Uh, there's kind of this reconciliation that happens between what we thought reality was like and what we actually found reality to be like. It's like staying up late uh, when you know that you've got an early start the following day. Um, those moments where things aren't quite in alignment. Now, this is really interesting for Jesus' closest followers, the disciples because they were expecting a Messiah or a Savior, and Jesus wasn't quite what they expected him to be like. Uh, I think Jono, when he started the series a couple of weeks ago, shared that the Israelites, the Jewish people, were expecting a Savior who would save by political or military strength. Uh, someone who would actually even 
overthrow and defeat Rome. And in the short term at least, that's definitely not how things worked out. Um, there's this concept that you use, Monique and I were both teachers, and I know, um, I think, any teachers in the room? Well, we were teachers, and there's this concept you use when you're teaching uh, like stage three kids, so 10-year-olds, how to write. And you tell them, when you're writing, you show, you don't tell. And what that means is, you know, they're writing a narrative or a made-up story, and instead of saying, the man walked into the room, you'd say something along the lines of, a shadow darkened the doorway. You actually describe <laughs> what you're seeing. And, and that's exactly what we see in the first eight chapters of Mark. Not in the writing, but in the way that Jesus, is, Jesus challenges his disciples' perception on who they think that he is. And although he doesn't, especially in those first eight chapters, come out and necessarily tell them, he shows them again and again and again. Now, it seems super obvious for us as readers, but we've cheated. We've read to the end of the Bible, you know, we've like looked at the answers at the back of the book and we've kind of, we know what's happening. But I think it's probably safe to assume that if we were in the disciples' shoes and in their position, we would be just as oblivious as they were to who Jesus is. Right. Now, quick summary on where we're kind of sitting. Uh, so Jono kicked us off two weeks ago by introducing Mark, and it's written by a gentleman named John Mark. Did I get that right? Yes. Um, and there's kind of three broad acts that we're looking at, uh, and, and three locations. The, the first act, Act 1, which we're speaking about today, is based in Galilee, um, which is this lake. They call it the Sea of Galilee. That, that's where the scene is set. Act 2, they're traveling to Jerusalem. And in Act 3, they actually are in Jerusalem. But probably what's more interesting is kind of the way Mark sets the books up to describe their disciples and the broader community's experience in figuring out who Jesus is. And in Act 1, kind of the broad theme is, who is Jesus? And that's what we're looking at uh, today. And then some very uh, talented women will be sharing with us in Acts 2 and Acts 3 over the next month. It's almost like the opposite of that probationary period when you start a new job. You know, like uh, you, you go, you get a new job, you interview, you do a really job at the interview, and then you've got that awkward three-month period where you actually have to show that you are who you said you were in the interview, right? Um, it was new to us, because that's not something that is legal in New Zealand, but it was part of the process over here. Um, and it's like many things, Jesus sort of takes that pattern or that idea and turns it on its head. Um, Jesus shows his disciples who he is so that they can go through the hard cognitive and heart, heart work to figure out who that is. By the way, Jesus took time to do this with the disciples. Didn't happen straight away. And that's the way it is in our lives, right? We're all in this process of discovering who Jesus is right. and what that impact is on our lives. And we know that it's not like you just become a follower of Jesus, if you are, and boom, everything is sorted. Uh, it's this ongoing process of disclosure, like the dis disciples went through, of discovering who Jesus is and what that means for our lives. So let's have a look at how that shows up 
in Mark. And we're going to read from uh, Mark 4:35. So if you have a Bible, find the right chapter. If you have an app, find the right chapter. Um, I love this passage. We've got some really exciting passages to look at today that you could spend like months on them, but we won't because the children are outside and <laughs> that would be unfair. So Mark, uh, Mark 4.35 reads like this. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? So here we have a really good example of Jesus showing his disciples who he is rather than telling them. And the context here is Jesus had literally just finished the Sermon on the Mount, where he probably delivered the best at-scale teaching that they or the world had ever seen. Right? It's an incredible piece of teaching. And the disciples were actually okay with the idea that Jesus was a teacher. In fact, when they woke him up, that's what they called him. They said, hey, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Right. And I'm curious about this verse, right? Because they were panicking and they were frantic. They were in fear of their lives. They were convinced they were going to die. And they went and woke their teacher and asked if he cared. And, and I, I don't know, I wonder here if this is part of that process of them uncovering who Jesus was, right? Like, because right. it's teachers generally don't have authority over the wind and the waves as much as we'd like to say we do. Um, we don't. And, and they woke him up. You know, silly disciples, right? Uh, you're following Jesus and you can't see what's right in front of you. But I wonder how many of us see Jesus as a teacher or as an inactive and distant personality or force or father rather than who he is. Um, in the storms of our lives, who do we think is in the boat with us? Right. Now, this is going to go into a couple counselling sessions for me as we go through this thing. But, you know, as I read this, I, I wonder about the times where Jesus has shown me who he is rather than tell me. You know, like, uh, I've, you know, there's been plenty of times where I've been full of worry or anxiety and I've been searching through the Bible for the right verse for my situation. And that is a very good thing to do, and you should definitely do that, that's smart. But at the same time, Jesus has already shown me who he is in my life. Uh, not, not so long ago, I was feeling super anxious about something. Uh, I can't even remember what it was, but I was really, really anxious, praying a lot about it, seeking the Bible, trying to figure out what God was saying to me. And I spoke to Monique about it and she prayed for me and she said something that was a little bit confronting. And, and she said, hey, the thing that I feel like God might be saying to you is um, don't forget what I've already done in your life. 
And sometimes I wonder, and maybe this is just me, whether we take long enough to reflect on and be grateful for what God has already done to bring us to this point. Because I think all of us, if we sat around the tables now, if I put my iPad away and we just shared what God had done in our lives to this point in time, there's this rich tapestry and history of God being really involved and really engaged in who we are. And the thing that stands out to kind of this process that the disciples are going through for me is maybe I need to reflect on what Jesus has done in my life to reflect who he is for my future, you know? And the other thing I think that happens too is, uh, you know, sure, he worked in the past, we say to ourselves, but will he work in the future? And the amazing thing about Jesus, and I think what God is saying to some of us now, is he doesn't grow tired of us. It's not like he worked in our past and is bored of us and won't continue to work in our futures. So the Sea of Galilee gets super stormy, right? So uh, I did some research. It's about 200 meters below sea level, which is quite low, um, but it's surrounded by these really tall hills, which are way higher than where we are right now, which is quite elevated, right? I think it's about 600 meters up. So that means uh, that the air around the hills is super cold, and the air for some reason around the lake is super warm. And when they get together, storms happen and it's really fast and it's really you know, significant. They still have significant storms there today. Um, and I, you know, the disciples, I think, like to travel on the Sea of Galilee because it was a bit of a shortcut. It's faster than walking around, but it had inherent risks. Um, in fact, it happens again, not long afterwards. Uh, so the context for this is two chapters later, in Mark 6, and you can turn to that if you want to, right after Jesus feeds 5,000 people with like a family snack pack, um, <laughs> the disciples get themselves into a bit of trouble or a bit of bother again. And they again have an opportunity to reframe their misconceptions of who they think Jesus is with who he actually is. So um, I'd like to read from Mark 6:45, And this Versus this passage is just absolute gold. Um, it's really, really special. There's some good stuff in here. So I just invite you, as you're reading this, to see if you can listen to what God is doing here, because it's pretty awesome. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. This is Jesus. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And at about the fourth watch of the night, it's like 3, 4 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So much gold in that passage. First of all, um, how it feels a little bit like Jesus is punking them a little bit, because you'll see the verse there, it says, what does it say? Um, he meant to pass by them. Yeah. You just imagine you're in a boat in a storm, really scared a ghost walks past and jesus is just carrying on it's like oh i didn't see you guys there i, I don't know what 
was happening. I don't think he intended to continue walking. This is written from the perspective of the author, Luke, right? Oh, Mark, sorry. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on there, but I think it's delightful. I think it's like he's having fun with his friends a little bit, but I'm not sure. But like, there's lots of things in this that I think are really special. First of all, the fact that Jesus noticed that the winds were against them. You can just take that away, right? He notices for us when the winds are against us. And the disciples didn't know it was Jesus going past, but as soon as they called out to them, um, he made a really interesting and, and actually pretty special reply to calm them down, to, sh to give them confidence. Um, Jesus says to his disciples, take heart, it is I. But we get a better insight um, in the Greek, uh, which Mark was written in, um, if we look at the amplified version of the Bible. And if you have one of those, you probably have a phone, you can switch over, but I'll pop it up on the screen for you. In the amplified version, it says, for they all saw him and were shaken and terrified. But he immediately spoke with them and said, take courage, it is I. And in brackets, it says, I am. And that I am is super, it's really critical and really, really important. I am is a name of God used in the Old Testament in lots and lots of verses. And if you think about it, right, our God is an eternal God who has always existed and had to invent the concept of time for us to get an idea of who he was. Now, if, if you think about that, the name I am makes a lot of sense because he always has been always is and always will be, I am, is a great name yeah. for God. And that's why it's used in the Old Testament lots of times. Um, and I've popped some of them up there, mostly in Deuteronomy and in Isaiah. And every time it's used in the Old Testament, it always and only refers to the one and only God, Jehovah, God Almighty. Now, let's just remember that this is part of that show, not tell thing that Jesus is doing. But it's also used in the New Testament as well, by Jesus. And the, okay, you're like, cool. Maybe he was saying, I am he or whatever. But every time, well, lots of the times that Jesus said it to his contemporaries, to other Hebrew or Jewish men and women, you could tell they understood what he was saying because in at least three times they tried to kill him because of it. The first time I put little skulls, <laughs> um, I was like, I have to do corporate presentations all the time and I don't get to use emojis. Now's my time. <laughs> Um, the first time in Luke 22:70, if I remember correctly, that's when the Pharisees or the religious leaders condemned him as a blasphemer, right? The, the second skull there, John 8:58, is when he said it, they tried to stone him, and he like snuck away. And then the third time is probably the most revealing. That's when he was betrayed by Judas, and we all know what happened then. But you're like, oh, well, they planned to kill him anyway. But let's look at the verse. It's really interesting. It says. Um, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Jesus, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. That's weird. Why did they draw back and fall to the ground? That's really curious, right? Because they'd gone with the intent of arresting him to put him on trial, and the religious leaders had plans to kill him. But then if we look at the Greek, if you've got your, like if you're looking at the ESV version on your phone, you'll see there's like one of those little footnet, footnotes. Apparently footnotes also existed before phone apps as well, so it might also be in your Bible. And if we look at what the Greek says, when instead it's translated, I am he, what it actually says in Greek 
is I am. Now, if we look at the context here, who I, they, they answered him, Jesus' name. So Jesus said to them, I am. He's using God's name. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, the point here is to show that his contemporaries understood the claim that he was making. They knew that he was saying he was the eternal God that's always existed, right? Who somehow got into time to be a man. But that's where things, I think, get really interesting, right? So if we go back to our, our friends, the disciples, who are in the boat, who are in the storm, right after Jesus tells them who he is, what does he do? He tells them to stop being afraid. And that's when I was, you know, reading these verses and kind of reflecting on this, you know. If we think about for the disciples, and we forget that this is from the Bible and it's a long time ago for us. For the disciples, this situation was really personal, very real, and very tactile. And the way that Jesus responded to their peril and the danger in their lives was to say, effectively, I am God. Stop being afraid. Now, the storms in our lives are way more figurative, unless you're a fisherman or something, but they're still there. And they're very personal and relevant to us. But I feel like for each of us, what Jesus is saying to us, in the storms of our lives, I am saying, I am. Stop being afraid. And, and when I reflected on, you know, what, Mark is saying here, the thing that stood out to me is what Jesus is kind of demonstrating and what I feel like the Spirit is trying to say to some of us is that knowing who Jesus is allows us to step away from fear. Yeah. And it's beautifully illustrated in the story on the water, right? Where that was what he said. You know, he said, I am, because of who I am, stop being afraid. Uh, and that's kind of for me, at least, the thing that I want to grab hold of from this part of Mark and hold on to of depth for, for dear life. But there's another point as well, right? Like, like if we think about that progressive disclosure of Jesus showing his disciples who he is over their relationship, right? The other thing that I think God is saying is um, knowing what Jesus has done in our lives to this point allows us to confidently step into the unknown. So for, you know, like, I, I think as, as um, I was studying this and as I was praying through this, for me at least, and maybe this is just Jesus tricking me into having a counseling session for myself, but I think it's for more than just me as well, right? Like those two points that when we know who God is, when we have that encounter with Jesus, and we, and we see him as he is, it allows us to step away from fear. And when we reflect and are grateful for the things that he has and is doing in our lives, it let, lets us confidently step into the unknown moving forward. So I think probably what might be good now is, and Jono, this is where you might want to step in just for a chance for people to pray or have ministry into this. Maybe this resonates with you. Maybe you feel like it's a word for someone else. But I just encourage um, all of us to, me included, do business with God and just say, hey, look, what do you have for me out of this, right? Like, um, is it a case of 
reminding myself who you are and how interested you are in the tactile, personal and things that are happening in the life, the storms that are in my life? Or is it a case of me being grateful and taking a moment to reflect on the specific situations and, and miracles that you've done in my life, big and small, to get me to where I am so that I have the confidence to go out into a really uncertain world where we don't know the future, but we know who's in the boat with us. Um, yeah. So, ma so maybe if we just have a chance to pray into that and a bit of ministry time. Yeah. You've been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delahal. So we see you.